Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Everybody and welcome back to the Youthscape podcast. This is the second episode in our new season of Big Conversations. Martin, how are we doing so far? Well, it's been a difficult start. Let's be honest. <laughs> we we had tears. we had a very difficult start to the day. Yes. Um, technology was not our friend. Locked doors were not our friend. So we came to we arrived at the yeah, building this morning. Couldn't get to the microphone. Couldn't actually get to the equipment. No. Um, so actually, the interview that you're about to hear in this. Uh, episode of the podcast i had to scuttle off and <laughs> record said, upstairs we said martin go we will try and make it make do over here and you then, go and interview Dan. and then um yeah. and then the technology didn't work so um i couldn't get connected to him and yeah. uh, what was really like stressing me out was it was like already we'd agree as you'll hear it's we you know it was arranged to start at midnight his time oh <laughs> So, so that so you really could just see, he arrived at this Aww. thing, and he, you know, he didn't look, he didn't look exhausted. But he looked like a man who was probably he's watched a couple it, of films. It was midnight. Awake, yeah. It was midnight, and uh, and then and then I, the technology didn't work. And he, all I can say, is an incredibly gracious. We man. love you, Dan, from yeah. California. Yeah. Now, I, my interesting little bit of segue is actually, friends, it was a bit stressful, but I actually have to say, we are one team, we are one family. There were no crosswords. We just all jumped into it and pr- pr- producer. I to call you professor. Professor, Professor Amy. Amy. Producer Amy was You've just given her a, a promotion. <laughs> but the wonderful thing, those who have travelled with us a long time will know about Charles. Oh, yeah. Now, Charles is not currently in the room. We've no. sent him somewhere else. We'll have to save him for the next we'll episode. We'll save the next episode. But Charles was here. And then the funniest moment was I just was watching Charles sit in the middle of the, of the room. It's his first time here with us. Literally had no idea what to do. But he wants to do something. So he did that thing where he just was standing still. But, like, he was leaning out, reaching out to people and just, like, looking and, like, little jerky movements <laughs> and just the whole body language of, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. What can I do? Just, that is... It made me laugh now, so now so I think all of us who do <laughs> youth ministry and particularly the tidy up at the end of the night in youth ministry <laughs> we've all got that volunteer who just stands there like they don't know how to tidy do do? up where do I go but they want to or they pick up a pen they move the pen somewhere else and then mop a bit of water up and then leave the, the rug so yeah I, you, you're right it's like <laughs> I'll just go behind that volunteer do you, do you find that tidy up after them I'm not sure this I hope none of my team listen to this but you know um don't you have that thing at the end of the night? Them. No, <laughs> but you know when you you know that thing at the end of that where you are doing the tidy up, yeah. And you and the kids have obviously just left sweet wrappers everywhere, and there's hoovering to do, and there's chairs everywhere. There's a lot of tidying to do, yeah. And it's always about two of the volunteers that do all the tidying, and then there's a there's just a group who stand and and do that, just sort of chat. And not to say that Charles does that because he <laughs> definitely doesn't, and he does actually help at my youth ministry. Uh, but um, but there's definitely that's a thing with volunteers, isn't it? The sort of standing and not mm. quite knowing where to. So put I've got themselves. some turns of phrases. So lovely John Reynolds, shout out. Um, he and I uh, run a, a drop in on a Thursday night, and his line because the teenagers don't want to go home because they love us so much, <laughs> they don't want to go home. His line is like because it's not even that they have parents coming to get them. It's like don't keep the rest of your life waiting. Come on, so that's, well, that's a good line. line to get them out of the building. My line for the volunteer is is will you all now join me will you all now join me picking up the rubbish so we have Aww. these little turns of phrase if they're listening they'll now know what i'm doing but yeah no it is slow so anyway that is so we have had an event for and it ended up me and charles driving across Luton, banging on people's doors early doors they're still in dressing gowns like if you've got the key give me the key to the matchbox room so it's a whole youthscape um experience this morning to absolute chaos this podcast and then tool. and then and then we have you know, producer Amy and I'm not even going to name him at the moment. We'll call him Tech Support. Tech Support was here. <laughs> Emotional and he, Tech Support. He was trying, and they were trying to get the microphones working yeah. and all that sort of thing. It's been it's been an adventure and an ordeal, let's say, even it, to get us to yeah. this point. Nobody needs to know that. They're like, come oh, on, because people people want to know the amount of love and effort that have gone in. 
that has gone into putting together this absolutely shambolic piece of broadcasting. <laughs> Don't worry, we've got an amazing guest. Oh, it gets so much better. In a minute. But can I also, I have to talk about the weather because also no, in the right. midst of all this, we've got brilliant sunshine and we've got hail and we've got snow. And it's mm. all, it's like the weather has got behind us and just like this charged environment. Anyway, anyway, let's, um, let's get on with today's episode. So, are you all right? I am fine. I am in, can I also say... Um, obviously, we as a team spend a long time praying and fasting and uh, working out what our season's going to be. We don't just do it over the WhatsApp group. What, what's our theme for this season? But I came up with this. Oh, you this just was, thought you'd throw that in? I, yeah, second season. You, were you worried I wouldn't credit you? I th- I, absolutely, I was worried about that. You made sure you grabbed yeah. that credit. So I, and I'm quite excited about, about these different conversations because there are some difficult conversations to have. And the one today... Actually, you suggested the one today because this wasn't on my list. But actually, this is such a topical one because so many of our conversations that are really challenging kind of all roads lead to scripture. You know, it's kind of what how we read scripture, how scripture reads us, how we engage young people in this all feels like a really murky, important, brilliant, wonderful, but murky area. So well done, Martin. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank you. Thank Good you for work. reflecting a little of your glory onto me. <laughs> Shining. Um, so our guest today, uh, he's a bit of a legend, actually. Oh, yes. So if you if you go back a bit like, uh, like we do, mm-hmm. um, you may remember the emerging church mm-hmm. uh, movement in the late 90s, early noughties. Um, and he was, uh, Dan Kimball, who we're speaking to, is um, one of the sort of more prominent figures in that. He wrote some brilliant books. Um, which you should look up. Uh, he's written another one, which basically you should get. I think that's the sort of message Fantastic. of today's yeah. uh, interview. Um, but uh, he's been involved in, he planted uh, a church in California called Vintage Faith Church, and it's been in the same place, in the same community for 31 years. Oh, we love that. We um, love that, Which yes. is great. And he's he started as a, a youth pastor, and he's now continues to work with young people, students, young adults, um, at a church which is still very creative, but also it's just a normal church. Mm. Um, and uh, this is a fantastic conversation. Um, mm. I say very little, um, but it's a fantastic conversation about um, how we begin to approach the difficult bits of the Bible with young people. Dan, thank you so much for um, basically staying up very, very late to do this interview. So i what time, because we've had some little technical problems, what time is it now in uh, on the west coast of America? Yep, Santa Cruz, California, 12.20 a.m. right now. How, how are you feeling? Are you going to drift off halfway through this? No, you know, I'm, uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, I'm, I'm, it's not too uh, un, unnormal or not normal for me to be up around midnight, so this is okay. All right. Well, uh, we were just talking before we started recording about your because um, uh, when because when I came on the call, you just happened to be listening to London Calling by the Clash, which you hadn't done on purpose, but was like the coolest way possible for you to answer <laughs> yeah. no. a call from London. <clears throat> yes. Um, so well played, even if yes, that was yes. an accident. Um, but you obviously you spent some time in this country. Just to, you know, tell us a little bit about your time in in, in England first of all. Yeah, after I uh, uh, grew up in New Jersey, right near New York City, and I got into music uh, pretty heavily, then went to Colorado State University. I formed, uh, I was in a band there, I'm a drummer, and we were totally into like The Clash and The Pistols and um, saw that The Pretenders had went out to England or Chrissy Hind and formed a band there and The Violent Femmes and they went out to England and formed a band there and The Stray Cats. And so when we graduated from college, we said, let's go to London. So we uh, packed up our stuff and uh, put it in a big TV box, I can't remember, and then shipped it over to London. And we played in a band over in London for a little over a year. I was there like a year and a couple days. Um, And it was a great, super wonderful experience. And it was in London through a tiny little church um, in uh, right near the Moorgate tube stop Mm -hmm. that called Chapel of the Open Book that I, uh, I came to faith through the ministry of a few elderly folks in that particular church. So wow. London is a really important part of my life and I know this development. isn't 
any kind of part of what we're going to be talking about, but that just sounds so weird. So how did, how did that, just very briefly, like how did the ministry of a few elderly people lead you to faith when you were in a band? Yeah, I, I was searching. Honestly, I had actually, I had, no, I had nobody that was pressuring me for being, you know, a Christian or part of a church or anything. And it was truly a, uh, a young adult like search, like, what do you think truth is? What, what, what faith is real? And I had bought a Bible, a little tiny Bible I still have in the, in the church office building. And I was carrying it around. And I was trying to read some of it. And I walked by, I was doing temp jobs in England at the time. And I walked by a, uh, it was a little tiny building right smack in the business sticks banking district there and uh and it had a little sign bible study today inside like noon and so i took a peek inside and there was uh three or four elderly folks sitting in this bible study and the guy looked up at me so sincerely first i was going to go like i'm getting out of here like it's <laughs> like it really wasn't like oops wrong room and he just looked like here for the study you know and when he said that, I'm like, okay. And I sat down. And at that time, I mean, I was total into the whole rockabilly scene. My hair was super high and uh, you know, all the clothing and everything. And they, they were super kind. I sat down and they didn't judge me or say anything about my looks or my hair. They um, were very intelligent. They really knew the Bible and, and I started becoming part of that little church. I started going on Sundays and they took me under their wing. There's maybe 20 people. Uh, and it was through a, um, the guy would then, he lived out in Reading and he would take a, a train in and meet with me a day during the week just to read Bible and talk about life. And so it was through that fellow in the ministry. I have his picture right next to my desk here. I keep it. amazing. amazing. He, was 80, he was 82 years old when I met him, so. No. Yep. So you think of this though, like if uh, you have a, a young 24 year old or whatever I was, a uh, guy into punk music living in London and God used an elderly church, terrible music, kind of pretty boring, <laughs> pretty boring preaching to come to, you know, to come to faith. But it was an older fellow investing in me as a young guy uh, over in London. That is, that is a really lovely story and really encouraging. Um, I'm glad we went there. But, but, but people would know you then because you, you were then kind of very prominent in the sort of 90s and, and noughties, certainly in the US, for your role and your participation in the emerging church kind of movement. And you, um, I think during that time, were involved in forming a church, weren't you, which, which you're still involved with today. So you just tell us a little bit about why there was a group of you that was kind of thinking, oh, we need to do church, we need to do faith differently in that period. Yeah, in the in America, uh, it was in the late '90s, and there was a lot of what they called at the time the seeker church movement. And you started having a lot of churches that were growing to reach what was known as the baby boomers at the time. And it was kind of you know, churches uh, in America. There's ones that were called like Saddleback Church down in Southern California, ones that were prominent, and so then everybody was kind of copying uh, and learning from that. But it was high-end production for that generation and then there was a younger generation and i was serving in youth ministry <clears throat> and the the ministry there's a couple hundred high schoolers two or three hundred high schoolers that were meeting on wednesday nights and we rented a school on sundays because we needed a bigger space and then as the as the high schoolers the teenagers were graduating they weren't fitting in the culture of the older church and we were in a very happening large church, a couple thousand people. And so what a couple, we started rethinking, like, what does church look like for what was known back then as Generation X? And it was just listening a lot, like listening to uh, values, how they defined community. What about evangelism? What kind of teaching would they be listening to? And so several of us across the states uh, formed relationships and what became known as the emerging church which simply meant what was the church emerging to reach the next generation at the time it wasn't a formal thing it's like relationships but it got kind of a name um, and so we were serving together and um, we're, we're doing that for quite a while and then we planted a church uh, kind of based out of some of the things we're doing we're, I mean, it sounds like cliche now but it really was like you know, art, you know, using art and worship and 
sometimes having prayer stations or changing the format, having more interaction and actually the teaching going deeper versus more shallow and um, and been doing that since and planted this church. And then there was confusion back then because many of us were rethinking uh, how to reach the next generation. And then some were not just rethinking how to reach the next generation, but were taking some pretty significant turns turns and some theological issues of how do you approach the Bible, not just for communicating the gospel and teaching, but it really was a big theological shift. And then there's a lot of criticism about it and all of that. But that was a, yeah, that was a, um, a real fun time. And mm. uh, actually back then, so. And it, and it feels, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know the American church as well as you, you will at all, but certainly my perception here is that that kind of more experimental, like let's be let's be innovative, let's try and center on the sorts of people that we're trying to reach. That's almost become mainstream now. That's that's now quite a that that's no longer a weird kind of outlier way of doing ministry. But there's also seems to be a resurgence of those those kinds of churches that you described that you were almost reacting against that are you know putting on a show and. Yeah, making things yeah. as big and impressive as possible. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like every, uh, you know, it's, and, and this is really true, you know, if, especially if you're serving in youth ministry, you know, you, we are missionaries, like, and if you really think about that, like you're not just catering and that's there, you know, to the, the current needs of, of teenagers or, or college age in, um, in the church, and that's very important because we need to be shepherding and caring for them. But if we're really then listening to them about what's their world like, what's their values, it changes so quickly. So like certain things you were doing 10 years earlier, you know, especially in today's world, it's shifted so quickly. And so listening to the voices and the thinking and the experiences of teenagers and college age is just critical so that we can then understand uh, how to be communicating the good news about Jesus, you know, in every generation, and not even every generation, like, you know, every, every five years, it seems to change. And there is a resurgence. It's really fascinating because now a lot of them never experienced it before. And all of a sudden you're having these, you know, rock and roll sort of shows and giant stages and videos and many things that were actually probably rejected more back in the early 2000s because they came across as too showy in production and there very well could be another reaction against it. I am seeing that in the States when you type in like X, do you have, uh, do you use, um, I'm assuming so, but um, uh, TikTok there, you know, the app and all of yeah, that. Yeah, it's huge, okay. absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah so we know, you know, when you type in Exvangelical and TikTok to see what the voices are, I'm finding more and more that are, are rejecting that very approach with the large bands and the music and calling it emotionally manipulative and mm -hmm. and kind of a uh, um, even some that were part of those and so I do think there might be another season ahead where that is is almost another cycle of it in a different way uh, mm -hmm. but I would say the big difference today which I'd really love to hear from you I mean you guys are in a whole from what I know I haven't been there in 15 years or something but uh, we're truly in a you know, where what the scriptures say, who Jesus is, is so not known today. No. And and there's a, unlike the states have been behind you there, but now there's a rising criticism, not just of Stiles Little Church, that's almost mm -hmm. silly. It really is about Christian beliefs yeah, right. and the scriptures. So that's that's a change. Before it was more about style and you know, and, and criticism, the church is backwards, it's uh, you know, your grandmother's church or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now it's about, I can't believe that you believe in a God that's hateful, or mm -hmm. if you choose to follow historical Christian beliefs, you are, you're, you are seen as a hateful person. And uh, it's really difficult for younger people to um, say they're Christian and hold to beliefs that are really against culture today. Um, you know, apologetics and all of that, I think in the past, it was, let's believe, how do you know the Bible is true, right? And there's a lot of focus on that. I think what's going on today is not that whether it's true or not, it's like what it says is pretty wicked and evil. Yeah. And 
and we can't believe in the, what it says, even if it is true, we don't yeah. want to, we're rejecting that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's absolutely what we see here. Um, I think that you, you talked about that idea of the, um, uh, the states being slightly behind where we're at in terms of post-Christendom. Mm -hmm. And I think there used to be a sort of a, a number that was thrown around like the States is 15 years behind uh, where the UK is. I think that gap has closed. I think if you go somewhere, well, you go to the coasts uh, in the States, there's barely any gap at all. I think you're pretty much caught up with us. Um, obviously, in the, the sort of middle of America, there's maybe sort of maybe you're still slightly behind culturally where, where we are in terms of that post-Christian stuff. Um, but certainly, I think that, that, that even within the church, so even among Christians, there's a growing sense of like, I couldn't believe in a God who dot, dot, dot. You yeah. know, so, so therefore, yeah. I'm going to reshape God around the kind of way that I would like him to be. Yes. Um, and that's certainly true outside the church. But it, I, I see that more within, actually. Outside, it's more, it's more seen as an irrelevance because there's none of that cultural... There's no cultural hangover now. There's no cultural Christianity still hanging around like you have in the States. Here, it's you talk to young people about Jesus and you're telling simple stories, simple stories from the Gospels, and they are hearing them for the first time. They've never heard of the Good Samaritan. They've never heard of the Prodigal Son. They've never heard of feeding the 5,000. Now, that, that probably 20 years ago here was unthinkable, um, but now they haven't heard any of that stuff. Well, in many ways, that sounds like almost refreshing uh, in a way. It is. <laughs> yeah. it, I, do you know what? I actually think there's hope in it. I think there's mm -hmm. a, it's like because they've got none of the hangups. Right. So they're not, they're starting from a neutral position rather than a reactive position. Right. Um, so, it, so actually there is some good in it, but, but it's also not great that we've lost an entire generation of young people. But... We're going to talk. We're going to get into this now because your your latest book um, uh, is called "How Not to Read the Bible." Make, I love this. You have to read the full version of the title because it's so good. Uh, "How Not to Read the Bible: Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture." And obviously, that's um, almost the whole thing is in quote marks there, isn't it? Because yes. maybe not saying the thing is uh, all those things, but. Um, but what a rich and necessary theme to explore, particularly when we think about young people. So what, what, got, you, um, uh, what, what got you excited to write this book? Yeah, it, it was more out of almost necessity. Again, being in a uh, fairly progressive beach town, where, you know, it's kind of like a Berkeley or San Francisco, but smaller on, on the beach with the beach kind of vibe in it as well. And um, a university here in town, and just feeling over and over and over again, like you'd, you'd even say to someone, there's a story of a young woman who was, uh, became, was actually interested in faith. Of course, she's going to start reading the Bible. She starts reading it and she's like, this is, uh, she came up forward in a, one of our church meetings afterwards and she's, and she was actually starting to cry and tremble because she's like, I started being open to Christianity and then I'm reading the actual scriptures and it's horrifying what I'm reading about a God who slaughtered people and seems to be she was reading the Old Testament first and you know and being uh, uh, seems like endorsing slavery and there's polygamy and and she's like I don't know if I can believe in this because she was being introduced to faith like that and then so you have like that from somebody that's not a Christian starting to get glimpses of some of the things in the Bible and then you have, here's another typical story. There was a university student um, at one of the parachurch kind of ministries, and I didn't know him, but the leader of the ministry uh, contacted me and said, can you meet with this person? He's now saying he's an atheist. And so I did, and it turned out that he was raised in the church and he knew all the Bible stories, you know, the uh, Good Samaritan, Daniel in the lion's den. But all of a sudden at university, he was doing a study of the book of Exodus in his group. And then he said, God killed all of these children in Egypt. And he, I remember he said, like, um, I always would like recoil back in horror thinking of when Herod killed the baby, you know, the two years old and under in Bethlehem. But why was it okay for God to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, babies and two-year-olds and maybe even teenagers, whoever the firstborn was? And then he said he started 
thinking about it more and saw slavery. He saw, you know, father selling uh, his daughter into, this is all in the book of Exodus, into mm -hmm. slavery, you know, polygamy, violence, and all of these things. And he's like, this is horrifying. And then what he did was he looked up online, you know. And <laughs> okay. as soon as you then start looking, then you're, here, then you're seeing, you know, so many different things. And he'd actually said this, he's like, one of the things that I discovered was a website called evilbible.com. And it's still up and it just pulls out all of the verses and it, you know, that are all there for you to look at. And he wasn't prepared. So this is actually a really important part and then I'll stop, is that he was in a great church. He loved the church, a good youth group, felt love, they had contemporary music. It wasn't about any of that stuff but he was not prepared to be confronted with all of the violence and anti-science and anti-women, pro-slavery types of stories in the Bible. And that totally caught him off guard. And, uh, and it really, you know, it caused him to actually disbelieve the more he looked into it. And then he said he found a flood of others online that were going through the same experience. Mm -hmm. So I, this book was written in response to that. Uh, and to try to address some of the very practical ones, but also a lot of it is we we haven't taught what the Bible is and mm -hmm. and how to look at it. And so that's the front part and the rest of the book is all the main story, main issues about science, anti-women, pro-violence, slavery, and those kind of things, because that's, you know, how do you look at the Bible? And then here's some ways of looking at the problematic, crazy sounding parts. So just, um, I mean, all of this kind of with thinking today through the lens of um, working with teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, so we're already, uh, I think many youth leaders are quite nervous about how, um, how successful they might be at getting a young person to read scripture or engage with scripture. And we've all led those Bible study groups where the kids mm -hmm. are just sitting around praying that you are going to answer your own questions so they don't have to. Yeah. So we, we, we've all kind of had that, the, the, you know, there's a slight discomfort, a slight lack of confidence around um, leading young people with the Bible. But you, the first thing you're saying there is actually fundamentally, as we present the Bible to young people, we might not be doing that well. We may be, we may be incorrectly even presenting the thing. So just could you unpack what you mean by that? Like, what, is, what does it mean we're handling the Bible in the wrong way? Yeah, well, if you picture growing up in a church, um... You know, and you do hear these great stories about Jesus and uh, the, the, in, in any contemporary kind of church, we so much focus on all the nice parts of it, which we should. Uh, but we have also not in many churches, I shouldn't say all, but in the majority of churches, we haven't really taught what the Bible is. Um, you know, that is actually uh, a library of books, not a single book, you know. If you walk into a library, then there's going to be, you know, books of law, books of history, poetry, different genres, different time periods. And if you pull a book off one of those shelves, you're not going to read it. You know, you're not going to read a law book like you would a history book or a poetry book. And and when you look at the scriptures, it is like you're going into an ancient library, pulling something off a shelf. And that's that's uh, a fun thing to do if you if you're actually that I have so much hope because once you start doing this, it's actually fun. It's like a, a discovery of things. So it's like understanding that understanding it's dangerous just to pull a Bible verse out by itself and try to make a case for something, which a lot of the critics do. But uh, we've done that quite a bit ourselves, just using a Bible verse by itself. And so it's showing what the scriptures are, then you then can, and, and some basic Bible study methods, then you can start bringing in all the problematic sounding verses and things and to make, have it make more sense when you understand what the story is and the genres and all of that. That's why it's actually a good, now there's some definite, very disturbing things that I'll never be able to understand. So I'm not just saying like, hey, there's clean answers for everything, not, but it's certainly, helps with most of the things. Uh, absolutely. I was just in Phoenix um, at a church down there and the youth ministry, they did a series called TikTok Theology. And what they did was they took, um, I've done this with youth with memes, like we'll put memes up and then ask them like, how do you answer this? Like you put up the disturbing things on, and the verses, 
with graphics. And that's why the book has all the graphics, you know, examples of it. And you put one up on a screen, you ask the teenagers, like, how do you solve this? And of course, they're gonna be like, how do you, you know, it creates a tension and a fun sort of problem solving way. Yeah. But a church in Phoenix took uh, TikTok videos. I think they spent 10 weeks, if I remember right. And they took, you know, different videos from uh, the criticisms of scripture and then play them and then they'd have discussion. How do you respond to them? Mm. And I thought that was a great way to engage teaching and learning about that. That's fantastic. Um, so can, I, can we just get into a couple of the details then? So, sure. so can I just ask you, particularly the, we, just to start with the violent God kind of issue that you, you've, you've mentioned, you know, the, the God that we see ma- mainly in the Old Testament, although Jesus has some moments where you're like, oh, uh, that's that's spicier than I was expecting, but sure. um, but the Old Testament God particularly seems to be very violent and kill a lot of people. And there's women and children and babies being dashed on rocks and things. And you, it's really awful. And yes. so, how do you begin to handle that when people come across it, particularly for the first time? Well, by far, the violent passages are the most difficult to. Uh, uh, you know, to, to sort of resolve in many ways. And, you know, and I, um, in, in one way, I wasn't even going to write about it because I'm like, that's kind of the toughest thing in there. But I'm like, but it also is one of the most uh, important ones to address. Violence was used in the scriptures and there's no way of saying it wasn't unless you change your view of scripture, which does happen today. Mm-hmm. There are some that are saying, well, the Israelites were wanting to portray their God in such a way that they told these stories, but the true God didn't really do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start going down that that approach, you're then actually changing your understanding of Scripture as a as a whole, really. Mm-hmm. So my premise was looking at the Scriptures and saying these these things happened. But then when you start looking at <clears throat> when did they happen, how did they happen, um, you know. Uh, and, and you know, and again, you could spend an hour just talking about this, but very quickly, I'll just say, this is why it's important to know the whole storyline, because what you'll see is the theme of God's compassion. I mean, the most um, Exodus chapter 30, uh, 34, verse 6 and 7, you know, talks about God being slow to anger, abounding in love. Like, it's the most repeated verse that God talks about himself, giving his character. Now, when you see that throughout the scriptures, when there was violence used and there was violence used, it was after warnings and pleadings. And, and if somebody did change their ways, they were then, they didn't experience the violence. So like um, the God of compassion at times used violence in a very violent world to begin with back then. And I, I mean, I almost say like, you wish he didn't, but um, I shouldn't even say that because then I'm saying I, I know more than God. But uh, but when you see it, it's not just bloodthirsty, random, genocidal violence. There's purpose, there's warnings, and it was just like there's wars that did happen, um, and at times violence was used in battles. But again, it wasn't this just random sort of thing that happened. I'm, I'm being a, you know very short. Then there's like you said, like killing babies. There's the one Psalm, I'm blanking out, 20, 27, 20, uh, one... There's a there's a psalm that says uh, and is quoted quite often about like God hating babies and it's about ba- dashing babies against the rocks mm. and I wish I could quote it off the top of my head but it says something like you know and there's criticism that God oh here it is okay I just found it it says happy are those okay happy shall they be to take um, little ones or another translation says like infants and dash them against the rocks Psalm one thirty seven nine and you'll see that there's a, a someone in the states put it up on a billboard. Your God is violent, killing babies. Mm. Now you read that verse with the meme. It certainly is shocking, and you go like, God's violent, and He mm. kills babies. Mm. Then you read, read it like you know, you pull out the verse and you look at it in the whole story. It's not God speaking for one. It's uh, talking about the post wiping out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And it was kind of a vengeance, sort of poetic, stri- uh, laying uh, a poetic stretch expression from someone wishing that they could have revenge, like you know, like because yeah. they probably had their children killed, and yeah. so 
it was it wasn't a command by God to kill babies, but you'll see it used against God as a way of, of showing it. So again, I'm going very quickly, but so much no, of the I criticism's not there. I think that's really helpful, and, and again, it just uh, it just comes back to context and ripping verses out of context. And again, you know, you, you, things get quoted against God, just as you've said there, that aren't God speaking. You have a book like Hosea, where you're just dancing constantly between what the prophet is saying and what God is saying. And right. and so if you don't read the thing properly, actually, if you don't read the whole book, you, you get into all sorts of trouble. So that, that is really helpful. So uh, if we could ask one of the other um, kind of questions that you pose in, in the book, you know, is the Bible anti-women? Because obviously this is something that churches have used to to say to women, like, you need to play a secondary role because the Bible says so. So what do you, what do you have to say about that in the book? Yep. And it's been uh, sadly, very sadly, you know, misused, misunderstood. And, uh, and it's because there, people don't put basic Bible study methods into application for what this is there. And, and there's like memes and you'll see this often again, you'll see a graphic. I'm looking at one right now. And it's a woman with her mouth taped shut, like a horrible picture. And then underneath it, it has a Bible verse, you know, it says the, the women should keep quiet in the meetings. They are not allowed to speak. Uh, they must, uh, it's a little dark. They, it says that they want to find out about something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church, yeah. right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. You take that verse, you know, with, with have the verse, put a woman with her mouth taped shut, it looks horrible. And sadly, some people will look at that like, you see, God doesn't want women to speak. They should be quiet. Now, you, the principles of looking at anything like this is you have to back out and say, okay, who's that written to? That was written to the Corinthian church. Um, what was going on in the Corinthian church at the time? There's all different types of, uh, the feminist movement was very different back then. And uh, you, you go back then, there was a there was a strong patriarchal culture at that time that was already in place that God didn't set in place. This was Roman Greco culture. And from that, then you'll see that what was Paul trying to do? And you'll end up, you know, very quickly, you'll find out that, that there was postures of learning in meetings. And Paul couldn't have possibly meant to simply be quiet because three chapters earlier in the same letter to the same church, he's telling women to prophesy and pray. So I'm, again, I'm being, being quick about it. There must be more going on then for it than to just mean women have to be silent and don't ask questions and go home and ask their husbands. But yet it certainly sounds, reading the verse on their own, confronting and horrible and the imagery that's then used of a woman with her mouth taped shut. You know, and then Christians have sadly used it to demean women, to say men are better. And, uh, and, and so Christians use it can use it incorrectly. And then a lot of the ones that are trying to disprove faith today are using it incorrectly as well. We have to put the effort into really looking at what it says. And there are, depending on what churches you're listening from, um, there are some churches that have different roles of women in serving in the church. This is just talking about respect and dignity to women in general. And and it's, and you'll see, again, you I could, each of these topics you could talk about for an hour, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but you'll see the trajectory of women being treated uh, more and more. The whole New Testament is kind of almost a revolution of how women are then honored and treated and, and we could go on and on about it. But these verses out of context certainly look like demeaning women. I'm going to ask you in a second just to, uh, just to talk about uh, the book and particularly the video series because I think that will uh, be something that would work with young people. Um, just, I guess, last question before we do that would be, do you, do you have any kind of tips? You've been a pastor for like 30 years, you've been, been kind of pastoring yep. young people, students, uh, old people for that long now. Yes. Um, have you got any kind of tips for, you know, handling, getting into the Bible with young people? Because I think a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, this is all great, but we cannot get young people to pick up scripture in the first place to read it, to take any interest in it, except when we force them to in a group context. So have you got any kind of thoughts about how we 
help to foster a, a love of the Bible in young people? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was youth pastor, again, it was uh, 20 years ago now, so I know there's been generational changes, but we still do the same thing to do it with young adults or college age today, and we see it happening with youth in our church as well, though I'm not directly involved. You know, I, I do think, um, one, the scriptures are truly alive and active, and this God's Spirit can use scriptures in our lives. How do you, with teenagers, I do think, you know, it's gentle, you know, um, but we used to, when we used to have, I think, close to 300 different high schoolers that were going through books of the Bible together, but it was with older adults, mainly college age, mentoring, patient, modeling by example, reading it together. And that made such a difference, you know, and you could say maybe for some it was forced and for others, you're, the leaders were praying for them and getting them to see the scriptures as something important. And if you have somebody that loves you and cares for you and is in your life, that's a part of it right there. And then again, I think the fun part about what I'm talking about is you put up you know, a woman with her mouth taped shut and that Bible verse, and then you look at you know, teenagers like, how do you solve that? You're going to get some fun discussion. And then like, let's look in the scriptures to see how. So, um, I mean, again, very quick. I, I Here's something also. I, and we still do this, you know, for years, every year with high schoolers, we would always, uh, teenagers, we would always survey them and ask, what are the, what are the biggest questions that you have about God? Or maybe that friends are asking, what are the questions that you would like, if you could be asking God any question, what would they be? And then you're showing from the scriptures then, but you have to be asking them what their questions are so that you're then able to start addressing them in safety, not condemning them for, you know, I just think it's it's exciting. I do think there's a lot of potential. Of course, you have the difficulty that you were just talking about, um, but I do think it's possible. But I think it's a lot of listening and asking the questions, so it's not just our questions. That's great, Dan. It's been fantastic talking to you. I know it's been one. It's now one o'clock in the morning for you. Um, just the book is called uh, uh, "How Not to Read the Bible: Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science." pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. Um, I think a lot of people want to check that out. Just say, just very briefly, can you say something about the video series that you've done? Yeah, uh, the publisher Zondervan just put out a six-part video series, you know, 20 minutes each part, kind of hitting each of the big questions of the book. That's one, you know, slavery, anti-science, dinosaurs, um, violence. Uh, and then there's a little workbook that goes with it. And, um, you know, if you're a student leader, you could just get one of them and just watch. I'm also, for anyone that's interested, even if they don't, if they just want to see the graphics, I'll be, um, my name, Dan Kimball, D-A-N-K-I-M-B-A-L-L.com. I'm going to be posting up all of the slides that I use. If anybody just wants to use the images and just download them and use them for teaching or, or putting them up on a screen and saying, how do you answer this? But the video series is based on the book, six weeks, uh, kind of like to walk through in, a, in a, either a teaching series or small group series. Fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for that, Martin. That was a great interview. And thank you, Dan, for staying awake so late for us. He did stay awake very late. But what was really nice is at the end, like, he then stayed on the line. He, he wanted to chat about yeah. England and, and he went and st- he was talking about Wookiee Hull. Wookiee Hull? Yeah. That That's was, like genuinely yeah. those England stuff, I, isn't I it? I wasn't expecting him to bring up Wookiee Hull, <laughs> I'll be honest, but he did. So that was nice. And uh, and he also, he was into like punk English punk bands and stuff. Oh and I, I thought about faking like being a fan of The Clash and The Pistols. But I thought that's that's only going to end one way, isn't it? Yeah, you're too much of a Hugh Grant for that. Oh, you're very kind. Um, When when we were talking, uh, I I I was thinking about my own engagement with scripture over the last um, couple of years and how how a particular practice, which I think we've talked about on the the podcast before, has been quite transformative for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, so what I've been doing is reading a bit of the Bible every day and journaling it. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I've found that has really... For me, as a as a person who thinks and processes through writing, I found that really helpful. I imagine like there are other styles, mm-hmm. other ways of getting into the Bible, particularly for us as leaders, which we could embrace. I don't know what yours is, Rach. I don't know if you 
you, do you draw, paint a picture or no? I don't do you anything. Just go and find like an that. old person to talk to you about <laughs> it <laughs> on a bench. Or yeah, I mean, all the time I'm finding old people on benches. I refer to my giddy octogenarians. I just love them in black. Um, what I'm finding at the moment really I'm, is just buzzing. There are times where you read scripture and it doesn't buzz, and that's still okay. And it, you like, I just want to get the word of God in my heart and re- and ringing in my ears, and and that's okay. But um, at the moment, I bought a, a different translation of the scripture. So N.T. Wright, this is such a plug for him. N.T. Wright and John Goldingate have just brought out um, so their translation of scripture, and they're so steeped in kind of New Testament theology. It's a whole Bible they've done. But it just feels like a very fresh translation. And they put all the maps in it. I mean, I sound very middle-aged, like all the stuff that probably my parents wanted to It's got maps in it. It's got maps in it. It's got an amazing intro. So I'm re- I'm trying, I'm disciplining myself to read a book. Well, like Dan was saying, as a book. Mm. So I'm reading the book of Acts. And because I'm involved in a church plant at the moment, it feels like there's some really nice parallels and synergy. And I, tr- I try and read it, the book of Acts, as a standalone book. If this is all I knew of the gospel, if this is mm. all I knew mm. of the Bible, what would this tell me? And I, and I'm reading it with such, it feels like with such fresh eyes because of my own lived experience of trying to start something from scratch and, and this different translation. I'm noticing things I never noticed before. And what I'm noticing, Martin, is that the early church never clue what they were doing. No, absolutely not. And they contradict themselves on some things that we're like, well, are you going to get circumcised or not? Because you're doing it and you're not. And, and it's so heartening to think they were desperately wanting to be led by the spirit mm. and the spirit was utterly leading them into the most audacious places but they were trying to work this out and it was clunky and i think so i think sometimes there are seasons of your life where maybe a, a different way of reading a particular book mm. um, a different translation can be really eye-opening mm. but young people that we work with here we we actually bought quite a lot of they're from america but um jer- like like big uh, books where they can just color in really nicely done but they'll just sit for hours i have one young person and she has colored her way through the entire book and it's intricate coloring in right she has just loved engaging color the bible yeah and it, i, I think youth for that. christ youth for christ have made some resources like that actually you could cool. you should check them out check them out absolutely and uh and and it, I, I don't know if they do maps no I, I love a good you do good you love map. a good map I love a good now listen enough of this go on on my on my podcast notes the word mug appears. I have to talk to you about mugs first. Yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a young adult that lives with us during the week. And uh, she has the broadest Blackburn accent going. And because I'm a Londoner, she whenever she talks to me, she talks to me with a really amazing, strong London accent for some hilarious reason. Oh, she puts it on. She puts it on. It's fantastic. It's How does it sound? Well, what she said to me is, you mug. So basically, I'm like, oh, have I put the kids to bed? Oh, I have. <laughs> and she'd be like, you mug. She says it so much that my children now say it. And my four-year-old got into trouble at school for saying quite loudly in the class, you mug. So whenever I see the word mug, that's all I so can you think can see. of. Is, okay. It's a bit of an expletive in our family. And we're just sharing that with Blackburn. Shall I tell you why it's on your what running is, order? So yeah, in our last season, we had a wonderful time with Hannah Bradley our innovation specialist, talking about innovation. And she hinted at something we were making at the time, oh. which wasn't quite ready, wasn't quite hot off the, I was going to say press, but more like kiln. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, we, I think you probably figured it out by now. Is that it a mug? We've made a mug. Yay, mug. <laughs> we've made a mug. Um, and you might, this is not a promotional item. Oh. It's not, it's not like we've made a Youthscape mug. Like, I love Youthscape. Oh, it's not oh, that. it's not it's not it's not merch not exactly it's merch. not that um we're trying to find a really creative way of doing theological reflection and what we right. thought was <laughs> what we, i know because I, we've done research that says yeah youth leaders want to do more theological reflection they love doing it they don't know how to fit it into their day so we were thinking well what does every youth leader fit into their day a brew right Ooh. cup of tea cup of coffee tea, coffee Right, hot chocolate. hot chocolate. If you if you were so inclined, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we thought, well, what if we could t- we could twin? It sounds stupid. Now I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, what if we could twin these concepts <laughs> through the process? Has it? it has been through the process, process. Okay. of theological reflection and having a brew, and we have come up with the exam mug. Oh, I thought it was like the exam mug. I thought it was like a mug for young people going through exams, no. saying, "Are you going through an exam?" Thanks for Here's just verbalising the big thing we're worried about. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. But the what's exam great? Mug. So the exam mug. Oh. You actually the way we we printed it with 
like to show people how it's phonetically pronounced. Okay. Okay. Love it. But what was amazing, what I was laughing about was when, when I just brought it downstairs, I put um, like there's an old cup in front of me and (laughs) just a white, just a random white cup on the desk and you've never seen it. No. And you thought this was the exam mug. I thought that we, we had gone so minimal that basically we're Ikea, other places available, white mug. Yeah. Right. Okay. So show me the actual. It's not just like we give people, it's not, we didn't just go have a mug do some theological reflection <laughs> i wouldn't put it past us martin i really what? wouldn't what? Put, put that's somebody else's cup i don't even know who that is <laughs> oh it's um uh, uh tech support it's tech support tech supports mug emotional tech support right so what is the actual mug here's oh, the exam mug oh, oh right now it is nice. nice isn't it mm. so uh this is look you can have a little card that comes with oh. it and explain it to I you love it. but um, uh, yeah you spelled it phonetically i love it let me just describe the exam mug. So it's got uh, both front and back for left and right handers. Uh, oh, four theological reflection questions based on the examen. Yes. Right? Yeah. Examen on a mug. Exam mug. Oh, I love it. So as you're drinking, you ask yourself, where has God felt most present today? Where have I felt most distant from God? Who or what should I be praying for? How do I feel about the day ahead the next day? So um, you ask yourself, and it's got a little Uscape logo on the bottom. There's a bit, there's a little aspect of merch right on the bottom. But um, but yeah, that's it. And it's really simple. It's a really simple way of just trying to build a rhythm of theological reflection into your day because you see it and you go, oh, I'll ask myself those questions. Right. What I love about this is that the thing that causes the most distress in any church setting is that people don't wash up their mugs in the little church, tiny kitchen. Okay. So what I love it is that we've created a mug that we were expecting people should do the most amazing theological reflection which they will we will do that but also there will be someone going who's not washed up their mug who's not done it who's not washed up their so it's also going to like contribute to that wider kind of opportunity for the church to be like kind to each other and wash up their mugs so i think it might serve lots of purposes here yeah people to put pens in it they'll grow things in it i think it's very exciting they shouldn't grow things in it so where can i get one of these i hear you ask well only from the youthscape store what youthscape.co.uk forward slash store and you'll find it there exam mug although you may read it as exam mug, mug. but it's and not to do, help you through that you mug <laughs> so we could maybe that should be inside as you're drinking down your coffee what jesus thinks about you you mug I, yeah i love it i'm gonna buy lots and give it to my team i think that's wonderful how exciting so thus endeth our second episode of what a wonderful episode. So much to think about. So much to do. Let us grab that mug. And as our emotional tech support has just texted me, let's go and do some theological reflection. We love you guys. Bye.